Hello, and welcome to Poll Position, a podcast series from the Hoover Institution covering the 2016 election season. Poll Position is hosted by Hoover Research Fellow Bill Whalen, an expert in U.S. and California politics and elections. I'm joined today by Dr. David Brady, a senior fellow here at Stanford and a political scientist. And I'm also joined by Doug Rivers, also a Hoover Institution senior fellow, a Stanford political scientist, and chief scientist at YouGov, the Palo Alto-based polling firm, which among its clients includes the Hoover Institution's Golden State Poll. Gents, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Okay. We have a convention that's just started in Cleveland. The last time Cleveland held a convention was 1924. And if we were doing the video of this, we'd have a photo of Dave Brady wearing his Calvin Coolidge boater. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's a curious convention, I think, to say the least, uh, not just because they chose Cleveland, uh, a city which made a lot of sense once upon a time for conventions in terms of rail travel and so forth, and obviously the Republicans covet Ohio, but it's curious in this regard, and that's, of course, Donald Trump. Uh, a little math on Donald Trump, fellas, uh, before he gives a speech on Thursday. Trump received the most votes ever by a Republican presidential candidate in a primary season, about 13.3 million votes about 5.7 million votes more than Ted Cruz. However, he also received 15.3 million votes against him, 15.3 million people who opted for Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, or John Kasich. We haven't had this in politics in modern times. Somebody who, on the one hand, represented majority sentiment among the delegates on the Florida convention, but did not necessarily represent majority sentiment in terms of all the Republicans, all the people who participated in the Republican conventions. So as we begin in Cleveland, what are you guys looking for out of Donald Trump this week? What do you think he needs to accomplish? Well, obviously, the first thing he needs to do is to consolidate the Republican base. Uh, The fact that he uh, was not a choice of the majority of the Republican primary voters and of a very small fraction of uh, the Republican elected officials, um, he needs to fix that problem first. Uh, I think his choice of Mike Pence uh, as his running mate uh, was an effort to uh, reach out to the core of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Dave, were you surprised, well, by, I, were you surprised I, by Pence? No, I think he uh, was, at the moment, listening to his advisors. I thought the uh, press conference where he introduced Pence was uh, truly amazing, only Trump event where he keeps the uh, star attraction off to the sideline, talks about his hotel, talks about himself, and then sort of as an afterthought, uh, brought him out. Uh, They don't agree uh, on a lot of things, so I think it is an attempt to unify. The real question for me at the convention is, can Trump keep from being Trump? Can he read the scripts? Uh, I I know on the comment about President Obama, there's something going on there. Republican uh, leaders and others have been telling him to stay away from that, stay away from that. And here it is, the opening morning, and he he didn't stay away from it. Did you see the lettering on the Trump-Pence signs? The, the, the Trump su- characters are about twice character. the size of the Pence. <laughs> the, the TP signs, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, although, uh, interesting little side note here, uh, tickets that have uh, candidates with five-letter last names. It worked for Biden and Obama. It worked for Nixon and Agnew. worked well in terms of getting elected, not so well for the country, I add. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's something there. What do you guys think Trump can really do in terms of improving his image? YouGov and The Economist uh, at all times are looking at Trump's favorability, and they come out about every two weeks, I think, Doug, with uh, new numbers on that. Before the California primary, Trump sat at about a 61% disapprove. 
He wins California. He goes over the top in delegates. He's now nominee and waiting Donald Trump, and his numbers should improve. And guess what? About two weeks after California, he's still stuck at 61 percent. So They're think, still there. Yeah, and so you think, okay, over the course of time, it's going to get better. Momentum is going to build up with the convention. And the last time you, Governor Economist, came back on this, he was up to 64 <laughs> percent. So what, what can he do really in Cleveland to start chipping away at that? I have no idea how you address that problem. <laughs> uh, the main solution for him is that Hillary Clinton has almost as bad negatives as he does. Right. Uh, these are the only two candidates that could possibly win against uh, the other. Right. Um, we haven't seen uh, candidates with this level of negatives. Uh, so. I think they're going to be ne uh, negative for both candidates uh, over 50% at the time of the election. It is the great narrative. The Republicans have managed to pick the one person who can actually lose to Hillary Clinton, and the Democrats have picked the one person who can lose to Donald Trump. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Doug, you've got some fresh numbers looking at the Clinton-Trump race, the horse race, the head-to-head. -head. What, what do you have? Yes, yeah, so over the weekend we ran a uh, uh, battleground poll. That's of, YouGov, uh, that's YouGov CBS. Yes, yeah. uh, YouGov for CBS News, uh, 13 battleground states. Uh, we have uh, Hillary Clinton up by one point uh, in those states, uh, which is, tells you that uh, at least the way our poll is showing at the moment, it's a competitive race. Uh, if those states split, uh, you're going to have something similar to recent presidential elections, which have been pretty close. Uh, I would say the one thing that's really sticking out in the polls at the moment is uh, the two candidates are hovering around 40 percent, uh, 40%, uh, and that's low at this point. You would expect uh, that uh, the number of people uh, supporting third-party candidates or undecided uh, would be uh, less than 20 percent. Um, and that's saying that uh, a lot of people just haven't made up their mind about this race. They have don't you like added, it. Uh, have you added Libertarian and Green to the formula, or are you just doing head-to-heads? Um, so uh, when you add uh, Libertarians and Greens, they take about 10 points, uh, uh, but it's mostly out of the undecided uh, category. Mm -hmm. um, even w in the head-to-heads, uh, neither candidate's above uh, low 40s. Mm -hmm. So I, I, uh, I think that, that Ms. Clinton's been hurt by the FBI right. report. So I've started to look at the YouGov recontact data, so we interview the same 5,000 people every month. And where could Trump make some progress? Because as, as Doug said, as you point out, it's a ne negative campaign, so right. what does that mean? It means where, where could uh, Trump improve his vote? So I'm looking at over time, what happens since it's the same people, what happens with married women? Uh, how's he doing with them uh, compared to how uh, Romney did in 2012? I'm looking at blue-collar workers, Democrats, Republicans alike. So I'm trying to look at spots where it looks like Trump could pick up some strength in so those you're looking, areas. You're looking at areas where he's you're looking at areas where he's underachieving with where he should be doing right. better. Right, and so he's picked up a little uh, among married women. Uh, the Clinton, I mean, it's not it's a couple percent, so I was nothing I would uh, mm -hmm. uh, say is statistically significant at this point. But it moved in the right direction, and because it's the same poll over time, so I'm I'm trying to think about well, what are the combinations that would allow Trump to win? which is sort of the same point Doug made, just a little differently, saying where, where do we look for, where, where could Trump improve, and that among married women is one spot, among blue-collar workers, so on. Mm -hmm. 
there's going to be a big gender gap in this election, that right. uh, the core of Trump's support are uh, white males. Uh, we don't expect them to uh, win women. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it's not very helpful to look at the gender gap without looking at the party split. Right. Um, and the question now is, to what extent is Trump going to do badly among Republican women? Um, and uh, that's that's a place he could pick up. That When I looked at it over the weekend, that's where he did pick up. He, he jumped up a bit with Republican. Nothing with Democratic women, he does nothing. Well, we've seen both candidates uh, essentially consolidate their bases a bit of picking up support Your sense from is, voters is this people, from other This candidates. is just people coming home. Right. Yeah. It, it's been happening. It was entirely predictable. Uh, the, the difference is that he's still, uh, Trump in particular, is still about five points too low among Republicans relative to where he needs to be. What, so is, the, what is the margin nationally, Doug? You mentioned it's one point in the 13 battlefields. What's the what's the nationwide gap right now? Nationwide, I think the average of the polls is a Clinton around plus four. Uh -huh. um, and that ranges from, there was a New York Times CBS telephone poll last week that had the race tied. Uh, the... Uh, but the bulk of the polls are showing Clinton up by a bit, not uh, not an even race. Now, professional courtesy dictates that you will not criticize other pollsters, as you guys do this for a living and other people do, and it's just not polite to criticize. But there is so much information floating around uh, in the atmosphere right now, and it's awfully confusing. I saw a overnight poll that came out over the weekend, and it was startling in that it had uh, the gender gap. It had Trump trailing women by only 7%. And Mitt Romney, who was hardly a threatening menace to women compared to Trump, I think, I think he lost by 12 points to women in 2012. This poll had Trump uh, getting 30% of the Latino vote, which I don't think anybody expects either. So you guys have a wealth of information at your hands, and you can log on and look anywhere else in the world. To those people out there trying to figure out, okay, what polls matter or what data should I be looking at, give a little roadmap for what they should pay attention to. Well, yes. since I'm not employed by YouGov, I would say I look at YouGov. Doug, <laughs> <laughs> of course, can't say that. I mean, you got, I mean, personally, YouGov Battlefield's the first place I go to. Um, so there's a ton of polling out there, uh, and I think the first caution is don't pay attention to a single outlier poll. Yeah. Uh, the ones that are going to get the most attention are the ones that are furthest away from the rest of the polls. Uh, you're better off looking at the average. Uh, uh, it's unlikely that uh, the polls will all be off. Uh, there will be some that will get the race, uh, the wrong outcome or mm -hmm. the margin off by a large amount. Uh, but on the whole, I think we can expect um, what the averages are uh, close to the election is probably what's going to happen. Those so that's real clear, reliable. real clear. So the place to real look clear is, is real clear politics. Real clear average oh. is about four points, I think, right yeah. now. Yes, awesome. and Huffington yeah. Post has a similar average. Let me throw a theory at you guys that maybe national head-to-head -head polls don't matter that much in this regard. Um, if you go back to 2012 and try to project New York, Illinois, and California into 2016, uh, we know that she's going to win New York, and she's probably going to win by about a 2 million vote margin. She's going to win Illinois. It's one of her many home states. She'll carry it by about 900,000 votes if 2012's model holds up. But then California. And the field poll came out a couple weeks ago in California, and it had just alarming numbers for Trump out here. He was under 30 percent. 
which is alarming because if you look at the history of Republicans in California, the party's obviously having problems. But a Republican running statewide can usually count on 36 to 37 percent of the vote. In baseball, that's the Mendoza line for California politics. <laughs> Yet he's knocking around around 29, 28 percent. Uh, I would contend that you can have a 2000-like scenario here where if you take those three states combined, that gives her about a 12 million vote advantage. Trump would have to cream her in Texas. He would have to win decisively in Florida and in the upper Midwest to begin to chip away at that margin. So you could have another selected, not elected outcome where mm -hmm. she could win the popular vote, but he could squeak by with 275 or so electoral votes. Just putting it out there. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but it's a possibility. <clears throat> but you're right. The, uh, the national polls at one level are irrelevant. Uh, this is a race that's going to be decided in 10 to 15 states. Uh, and you can rack up very big majorities in places like New York and California um, and uh, still lose the election uh, uh, if you don't do well in the battleground states. Um, what's alarmed people recently is Trump being competitive or even ahead in some battleground states, uh, a different set than in the past, I might add. Um, However, the national polls are still useful because quality of the national polls is better uh, than the state-level polls. Uh, a lot of the state-level polling, even by the best polling organizations, uh, isn't that reliable. Uh, if you're, uh, the weighting targets aren't as good at the state level, the online polls have a much harder time doing states than they do national polls. Um, so there's a lot more variability in state-level polls. If Trump is down by 10 points in the national polls, the election is over. Right. Uh, if he's uh, down by two or three, then the sort of scenario you describe uh, could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's got to be relatively close. Right. I guess I want to add to that that uh, here's the case because I think some Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, states like that are close. Here's a case where the fact that Trump has no ground game, that the Democrats are on the ground, they have huge amounts of data of scraping. 2012, they uh, had all this data on Democratic voters. They actually matched and sent people out to vote. Uh, and their view is, uh, in a book by uh, Hari Hahn, uh, which uh, the Republican National Committee bought 500 copies of, uh, in that book they guessed that they increased the uh, turnout by 2 to 2.5% in key states. Well, in key states like Ohio Florida, Trump at this point has no ground game. So this is kind of going to be an interesting experiment for political science to see how much those ground games uh, matter. Yeah, the difference, though, is that Democrats need a ground game to get their voters out. Right. And Republicans uh, traditionally have not needed uh, the same thing. Uh, mm -hmm. What you'll see in, um, is that among uh, likely voters, Republicans will actually do better than they do among registered voters. Uh, and Democrats need to make up that difference. Right. Uh, for Republicans, the challenge is you've got to make up the fact there are fewer Republicans than there are Democrats. So uh, I agree, except in 2000, in 2000, the Bush campaign with Karl Rove, uh, where I did a little work for him in 2002, they uh, thought the reason that they hadn't won in 2000 uh, was because they hadn't done turnout. So they did spent a lot of time in Florida and other states on the turnout, or hadn't been true in 2008 and 12. So in general, I agree. Uh, but for, so, but the Republicans, uh, the question is, um, 
what's Trump going to be as a candidate ultimately? Right. Now, in 2004, the Republicans did use an issue in Ohio to bump the vote there, and that was same-sex marriage. I believe mm -hmm. there was a constitutional amendment on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And to show you how much times have changed, Gavin Newsom, the mayor of San Francisco at the time, running for governor of California in 2018, he had started marrying people in San Francisco, and he was persona non grata within his own party. John Kerry's campaign just wanted, wanted to thrash him for doing this. Uh, but the Bush campaign ran with it, and they carried Ohio. This brings us to a question about an issue which has come up in a very bad way in this country recently, law and order. Uh, this convention is competing for time space right now. Conventions usually hog the news cycle, but here is the Republican National Convention running up against uh, unrest in Turkey, uh, shooting, a tragic shooting in Baton Rouge, preceded by another tragic shooting in, in Orlando, um, and the question of civil unrest, very similar to the 1968 election, by the way. It's uh, parallels between this and 1968. We're doing a whole separate podcast on that. What do you guys think about law and order emerging in this campaign? And if so, which party do you think has the best shot at, pardon the pun, the best, the best opportunity at, at making gains with it? So you'd, you'd say offhand that law and order is a better issue for Republicans, Republicans than it is for Democrats. Uh, I think Trump has to be very careful how he raises that issue. Uh, that a heavy-handed approach to it could easily backfire. That right. this is not 1968, that you don't have, uh, you know, a set of leaders that are willing to push the race issue the way you were, you right. hadn't uh, then. And any attempt to do it could easily push uh, Trump to the fringes where uh, he's already pretty far over there. The country's uh, also demographically a lot different. The Latino vote is uh, much bigger. Uh, so my, my view is not only, uh, I agree with what Doug said, but if you look at the demographics of this, he plays it too far out. Right. It's going to hurt rather than help. Although I do think for the Democrats, uh, Mrs. Clinton, I'm going to have to, if you remember the 1992 campaign, one of the key moments was the sister soldier moment where right. Bill Clinton said, no, we're not going to have that. Right. So he said, put a cap on it. She may have to have, she may have to have some similar uh, moment also. That's a good point. Actually, the first night of the Republican show is dominated by the issue of national security. Um, what does your polling show about national security? We hear a lot of talk about economic unrest, economic uncertainty, economic angst, but then manifests itself in various ways in terms of trade policy, in terms of illegal immigration. But is, what's the national security component look like? Yeah, we haven't seen much of a uh, emergence of that as an issue, despite uh, all the things going on at the international level, uh, terrorism. Um, again, incidents like that should make people more sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that's not a bad issue for uh, Hillary. Uh, um, you know, that Trump has not shown himself to be particularly knowledgeable. Uh, he uh, comes across as strong, but sometimes uh, as a loose cannon. Um, so I, I don't think it's at all obvious which way that plays. It's yeah. So the YouGov poll shows that uh, it's not. People don't list it as a particularly big issue, but when you ask who do you trust more in a crisis, uh, 
yeah. foreign policy crisis, uh, she wins. Uh, she she beats Trump. I think, and they've already figured that out. Under the category of get a life, I was up to ridiculous hours last night watching the History Channel and Apollo 13. And when they went to commercial break, there was a Hillary ad. And what was Hillary ad doing? It was it had the video clip of Trump when he went on the uh, Meet the Press and talked about getting his foreign policy advice from Sunday talk shows. And then at a collage of her meeting with Putin and standing up for rights. This couldn't have been a California channel, right? Because they wouldn't bother to add. No, in California, we do not get local ads. This is all. You've got to find your ads on national TV. Good. Definitely so. Definitely so. So national security is a theme for the Republicans, but interesting question here about, about conventions. Conventions are now competing with the world of cable. It's just too easy to flip to something else. Uh, conventions are competing with the fact that you, in this election cycle at least, you already know these two people. It's not really somebody like Barack Obama 2008 kind of emerging uh, out, of the, out of the mist to lead the country. Um, they struggle for programming ideas. They get one hour now on prime time on the uh, on the non-cable nets. Uh, do you think that party? So I guess you know, party regulars will watch the conventions. They're great theater, but what can these what can these two conventions do to get the walk-up voter, the the casual, semi-interested voter, more interested in this process? Well, that's a really interesting question for Trump because I mean, the guy I mean, that's Trump's, his Trump's theory has been to turn it yeah. into yeah. The Apprentice, turn it exactly. into reality TV, and bring in so bring in all we, sorts of characters. we don't. Uh, I have to say, normally I don't I don't watch the conventions in any regular format, mm -hmm. but I've got to say that I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching. <laughs> As much as I can you, to see exactly what they're going to do. do you, are they going to do a Hillary? Do are you, they going to do Bill's sex life? Uh, do you et cetera, guys think? Do you guys think Trump or Hillary can get a bounce out of this? It's so Romney yeah. did not get a bounce in 2012. He had a flat convention. Obama, I think, got a three-point bounce. John Kerry didn't get a bounce in 2004. But again, you have these two people who've been on TV just about nonstop it seems for the last couple decades. Can they really push poll numbers by a one-hour speech? So. Uh, We've actually looked at convention bounces, and a, and a certain amount of them are essentially the other party goes on vacation, right. uh, not literally but figuratively, uh, that uh, rather than watch uh, your party and your candidate get pummeled, mm -hmm. uh, people of the other party tend to tune out. And one of the things they do is they tune out from taking polls, right. uh, and that leads to a point or two uh, bias in the polls, overstating the support at the end of the convention for that party's uh, nominee. Of course, it disappears because you get the reverse effect at the next convention. You have two candidates who are such dog whistles to the other party. I mean, it's if you're a Republican, you're going to watch Hillary Clinton because probably you just want to sit there and grip the chair with white knuckles and just, you know, <laughs> run at the TV. And obviously Democrats... You might, but most normal people <laughs> no, no, but no, aren't really into uh, they, watching yeah, someone they it's hate. It's the negatives they have. They yeah. bring out the worst in both yeah. sides. So right. maybe maybe there's going to be a little more interest in the two. One, yeah, so I, that, that may well be true. Uh, I think that's uh, mainly going to be on the Republican side because of Trump. I think the Democrats will run just a regular natural uh, national convention where they do exactly what they're supposed to do. Right. I guess the one thing that we ha haven't brought up or brought it up very briefly, this seems about, is the gap between the Democrats and the Republicans uh, seems to be going. It's about uh, eight points now. If you look at pollster.com and the sorts of things going from so it was so-called uh, generic question. Yeah, right? the generic question. Normally speaking, you can set up a Democrat, which Republican, is usually a precursor for congressional right. races, right? And uh, that that gap, and, and so the fact that uh, Ms. Clinton's running a little bit higher percentage of Democrats than Trump is at Republicans, the five percent Doug mentioned earlier, 
that that increases the gap that uh, Trump has to make up. So I'm, I think that's something we're going to be watching, or you, I'm going to be watching. Do you happen to know carefully. offhand just how many times a party that's going out of power, or the, the party, the incumbent White House party, in an eight-year cycle has actually had the advantage in the generic question? It seems usually it's the party out of power that enjoys it. Well, the so Democrats enjoyed a huge advantage from the Second World War to the 1980s, yeah. um, but they didn't win a majority of the presidential elections in that period. Right. Since then, it's been relatively close, uh, but it started uh, to widen again. Uh, so it's tended to go up and down as parties, you know, you know, so at the end of 2008, the Republicans had lost the advantage that they had sort of gained uh, by 2000. Um, yeah, the main difference is that the number of people who claim independence on that question is higher than it has been. So even though the Democrats now uh, have a bigger gap over Republicans, it's the Democrats have never reached have not reached 40 percent uh, identification yeah. since Reagan by the 85. But the Republicans are falling rather than the Democrats rising. So we have historic highs in the number of independents, um, and Trump needs to win independents by at least. Five points, probably more than that, to make up the Romney carried them by what a point or two, didn't he? No, fifty-two forty-eight, I think something like that. No, I think uh, Romney won by five or six. Five or six. Yeah. Right. So, but not sixty forty. Okay. Which he needed. So that would be. So you're saying Trump, Trump needs to do at least as well as Romney do with independence. That's right. But he's probably going to do worse among Republicans. Okay, but she, but her fault. She'll have a fall off among Democrats. I think in the end she'll have a kind of normal. level of support among Democrats. It's lower at the moment, but the Sanders voters don't have anywhere to go. It's more a turnout issue. Well, I'd suggest he's kind of behind the eight ball because if he does similar to Romney and independents, but struggles with Republicans, he's not going to close that four million or so vote gap nationwide. Well, that is is a problem. So when I said earlier, when we were looking at uh, married women, independents, he is leading among independents. Mm Uh, but not by anywhere near the margin that it would take to make up well, the difference. So, so far, his campaign's been a train wreck. And so the surprising thing is, why isn't he down by uh, you know high single digits or right. even 10 points? The fact that he's still within hailing distance, I think, is a bit of a success for the Trump campaign. So he That's because he's running against Hillary Clinton. Right. So he yeah. calls you guys and says, you're looking at the data. Tell me what I've got and tell me what numbers i got to push. What numbers does he have to push? Well, right now he's got to consolidate the Republican base so that he's getting in the 90% of Republican voters. Then the next thing he has to do is figure a way to get a healthy majority of independents. That's how you win he? Where is he now with Republicans in the 70s? Uh, No, he's in the 80s. He's in the 80s, so he's he's moving. Low 80s. He's been moving up. uh, The the Never Trump movement has largely disappeared. Uh, but the fact that there are almost no Republican elected officials going to Cleveland tells you he still has a problem. It is The list is staggering. There's mm-hmm. obviously no Bush presence. There's no John McCain. Um, selective 2016 senators, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, Pat Toomey, Pennsylvania. Anybody in a race? pass on this. Yeah, they're all afraid of getting sucked Charles Grass, uh, Grassley, if I was the only one going, he said he's coming fast and leaving soon. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little Trump, maybe a little Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Cleveland, Detroit without the glitter. Speaking of which, you guys are king for a day. What do you do about conventions? I'll throw out my crazy idea. I'd turn conventions into Burning Man. I would just, I'd have 50,000 of the faithful who show up for this. That's the 
That's the conventioners, the media. I just march them all out into the into the Black Rock Desert, Nevada, and set up a city for a week. It, look, as long as you have a satellite feed, it doesn't matter where you hold this thing because it's just about being on TV. Just let them all sit out in the desert and have their good times. I, I'm tired of this geography that we play. The Republicans have not won a state which has hosted their convention since Texas in 1992. So this idea that you know, your city is going to give you a boost in the fall, it doesn't happen. So I'd, I'd stash them in Burning Man. What would you guys do? <laughs> Well, I think you're right. You're, I don't know if I'd go to Burning Man, <coughs> but uh, you might offend some voters with that. But uh, I, it's right. It's correct that, uh, that all this nonsense of picking the city and getting it because it's going to help. It doesn't. It doesn't do any good. I've been saying for ages that Republican that conventions are irrelevant, um, and of course. Every January, someone says, well, here's the scenario for a contested convention. And we heard it this time, and by golly, I fell for it again. I uh, thought it might actually happen. Um, these things are such an anachronism and so irrelevant, uh, they, should, they should go away. Well, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think for the faithful, I think for the faithful, it's important. They have to have one. I don't care where they hold it, but they have to have one because that fires them up and gets them ready, et cetera, et cetera. Fires up the faithful. And uh, maybe your idea of Burning Man isn't so bad because you could get more there. Uh, the trouble with the way it is now, you don't really have that many people there. But they are crucial, particularly normally for money. And that, now that, again, you saw the probability of Trump raising, Romney raised 1.25, spent 1.25 billion. Right. And there's a very a low, zero, almost zero probability that Trump will right. be able to get a billion dollars. Okay. Well, Trump could run his just fine from a TV studio, and I think the uh, delegates could cast their votes by the Internet. <laughs> okay, gentlemen, fi final question. We're going to close out. It's Thursday night. Donald Trump has the floor. It's his hour to talk to the American people. You're sitting at home with your fine gin and tonics, and you're watching the show. Let's play the Donald Trump drinking game. How many times in the course of an hour in national TV does he go off script and takes an untoward shot at Bill Clinton or Jeb Bush or fill in the blank on demon that he will insult. Over under on Trump veering off the script. Doug? Uh, I think he's going to do it without a uh, set speech. Uh, no he, teleprompter. No ad-libbing uh, for an hour? I mean, he's much better uh, ad-libbing than he is reading a speech. Uh, the problem is he has to ad-lib without going off message. That, that will be the challenge for him, in my opinion. Dave? Uh, the odds of... Uh if he has no, if he doesn't have a teleprompter, then he's certainly going to go off script. You're bringing <laughs> a full no bottle, is what yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> exactly. I'm bringing bourbon. I'm not drinking that gin and tonic. Dave Brady, Doug Rivers, thanks for sitting in today. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more research by our fellows on the 2016 election, please visit hoover.org slash decision 2016. For more podcasts from Hoover, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.